Welcome to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. Thanks for joining us today. We're really believing that you'll benefit from the message that you're about to hear. A big thank you to those of you who share our podcast on social media. And thanks for rating and reviewing us on iTunes. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au. Um, fantastic. I'm so glad to um, bring the word this morning. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3. A look at uh, hearing the voice of God in hard times. But before we do that, um, I, I just want to say, what an incredible church you actually are. I don't know if you've realized that, if you're new, you've, you've come to the right place. It's an incredible church. If you look around and you see the people beside you on the left and the right, they all make up this incredible body that we call River's Edge Church that has done incredible things for Jesus. And I want to give you a, a testimony of, of, of that. So we had our incredible Fiesta Changemaker Weekend last week. So Friday night, the youth were talking about it. They interviewed and did some stuff. We had a Fiesta on the, the Saturday and we had this amazing band. It was incredible. And then Sunday, we had Pastor Ralph Estevey, who's the National Director for the uh, Chaplaincy Australia, um, one of the first ACC pastors to get into the ADF as a chaplain. They had to change the law. It's a whole incredible story, which he didn't share, but that's okay. But we, had, we raised money to what we want to do in and through our church, both locally and globally. And uh, are you ready to hear an update of where we're up to in terms of the finances? Okay, what about the other people? Are you interested? Do you want to know? Or are you just like, okay. here's the thing, here's the thing. Cause, um, and a big shout out to the entire team that have done a lot of work behind the scenes. There's, there's about, I think, over 40 people that contributed to the tax deductible side of it, let alone all the people that bought uh, a butter chicken or, or uh, a kebab or both. I had both last time. It's like, I agree, you can have two lunches, it's fine, it's Sunday. Um, but, w- but the thing, we, we, we raise so much money and, and we, here's the, um, are you ready? $19,633. How good is that? Well, that's pretty cool. So the team, the team wanted $20,000. And, and the good thing is there's still a few more days. Like, it's not the end of the financial year. We, we heard about that. So there's still an opportunity for you to actually give. Uh, and if you would like to give tax deductible, so what we do through our local stuff, um, in our local community, through our partnership, if you want to check out our website and you can see the links to that and you can give that way, um, you can have an opportunity to give tax deductibility have tax deductibility for that part of your giving. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that. We would love to, I'd love to see us break that $20,000. I think that would be incredible to do that. Um, and the, uh, But a huge thank you to so many of you that have done, given whatever you could, um, the little to the, the massive amount, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Um, I just am so grateful. And what, we, what that means for us as a church, that we can do incredible things in this next year ahead. Um, to do, to touch lives, to bless people, to help these refugee families, to do what, all the different things that we want to do. And so the, the, really, the, the, the vision is bigger than what we can do. And so we're asking for you to give the money so we can actually do it. And I think the pace in which we do it, it depends on how much you guys can give. But you might sit there and you go, I'm just a student. I don't have a lot of money. I'll tell you what, when Jesus saw people giving at the treasury and he saw them, he saw the woman that gave the smallest amount, and he goes, that's incredible. Everywhere the gospel preached, this woman's going to be honored. The guy, the unremarkable person that gave lots of money, whatever. So God looks at your heart when you give, and so I want to encourage you to keep, to just, to, just to do that. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Um, 
If we go to, yeah, let's, let's get into the Word. Do you know you hear God from your heart? You hear God in your heart. We've been doing a series about hearing the voice of God. I want to finish off today by talking about hearing God in hard times. Because I think that it, it, when, when everything's amazing, we can hear from God. But it's when we're in the hard times that we really need to hear from God. And I think they're the parts that is harder to hear the voice of God, the Word of God, God speaking to you in that moment. But So as the Holy Spirit says, I'm reading from um, Hebrews chapter 3. Um, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you he- uh, and then it goes down in verse 15. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And it goes on in, in chapter 4, verse 7, the same thing. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in... God speaks, but the condition of our heart is how we can hear God speak to us. And some of us are like, I'm hearing from God, that's fantastic, that's, that's cool, this word is for you as well. But there are other people like, I'm not sure if I'm hearing from God. Part of it could be your heart. There is this connection that we see in, in Hebrews but the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95 and three times he repeats something. So when the Bible repeats things, you need to pay attention. It's not like, oh, this is a good idea. I d- they mean, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. It's so He actually says, you need to get this. And it's a word of warning that he's trying to explain to them that the condition of their heart is how you can actually hear God accurately. But the word there in verse 7, so the Holy Spirit says, is a present verb. The Holy Spirit is saying, the Holy Spirit is speaking today. So uh, our old associate pastor, Pastor Peter, was a bit of a green thumb. Uh, he was brilliant, and he would show off on social media. He's not here, so it's fine, I can talk about him. He would show off on social media all these amazing things that he was managed to grow. I could only show you the first bit where I started something. Because I was like the angel of death when it came to vegetables and fruit and um, anything growing. Like, just is that not true? Uh, so I was just like, if it, I, I can kill it. I, can, I, I have great ambitions to grow our own fruit and vegetables. But let me loose and I'll kill it. Because I'm super excited for the first couple of times. And then I just lose interest. I forgot that it's there and you have to keep walking it. Into it. So for Christmas, we got this... I gifted myself, really, let's, let's just be honest. I bought myself a, a Christmas present that was this thing that would help me. I'm not going to use their name because they're not going to give me any money. So if you want to sponsor me or sponsor the church, that's great. So there was this thing that you can buy that changed the environment. And I'll tell you what, it's fantastic. Like this, I, I harvested some broccoli. It was probably a little bit late, but, but you know, it was still there. We had, um, what else have we had? Um, shallots, basil, um, the, the thing that Finn eats all the time, cucumbers, a whole bunch of cucumbers everywhere. Like, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm amazing. I'm so good. You know, the, the, just like the father, he's the, he's the vine dresser. I'm, you know, I, look, but really, the reality is, I'm pretty useless when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'd love to think I'd be great. But what we did was change the whole environment. 
And what I want to talk about this morning about the environment of our hearts is that prior to this, I was just doing it in the backyard. I just, look, that's a space. Who cares about the soil? Who cares where the sun is? It's just of space. I'm going to plant something there and it didn't work. It just died. It never took off. But we created this mini environment where we were able to see stuff flourish and grow. And I want to talk about the way, the, the environment of your heart can foster your hearing the voice of God or it can actually be challenging for you to hear the voice of God. Jesus has done incredible things for you and for me. He, has, he died on the cross. He showed us what God looked like and then he who knew no sin became sin for us that we would become the righteousness of God. Jesus has done incredible things. We have forgiveness of sins. We just need to confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we can think back in the past, He's done incredible things. We can look to the future of uh, wanting desperately to be in heaven. Like, well, we can go that way and go, yes. It's but I want to talk about our environment now. Where you are today and how you hear the voice of God. Because it's easy to go back in the past and go, God was fantastic. So He's looking in the future and say, God is going to be amazing. But the present... That's, I think, where we find ourselves, where we have challenges in our heart. Maybe it's a pressure from finance, the chaotic issues in your life. Maybe it's a health challenge. Maybe you're waiting on that. What's happening? What's going to happen? I don't understand. Maybe it's a relationship issue. All of these are normal, normal life, isn't it? But how do we have an in our hearts where God speaks to us. So if we can turn to, um, let's read that this whole uh, passage from verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Which is, if you look at the Psalm 95, so this is where he's quoting from. If you read in the Septuagint version, they didn't have the name of the place, they had this which means, uh, which was Meribah. So if you read Psalm 95, which is where he's quoting from you, has these places, you're like, hang on, what's going on here? What, they, what they're doing deliberately is using this old version of the, of the text to talk about rebellion and to talk about um, testing God. As you did in the rebellion during the times of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me, Though for 40 years they saw what I did, this is why I was angry with the generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they did not know my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. What is he actually talking about? And remember, this is a New Testament thing. So he's, look, he wants to talk back about the wilderness generation and says, there's something there for you and I today. Something for these Hebrew believers that he's writing the text. But there's something for us 
in Sydney, Australia, where we work and we do our jobs and we parent and we, we study and we do all of these things, this scripture still applies to us. So what, what is it that he's actually going to talk about? What is he referring to? Is it uh, the fact that they went up, when Moses went to Mount Sinai, that they, that they worshipped the golden calf? Because what, what, what happens in the wilderness, for those that are unfamiliar, is they've been in um, slavery for hundreds and hundreds of years. The, 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 the biggest world power at the time, Egypt, has had the whole of the Israelite nation in slavery. And Moses has an encounter with God that changes his life. And he says to Pharaoh, God's told me to let my people go. And there's all these incredible signs. And if you know your history or what makes a, a big deal for the Egyptians, it's every God that the Egyptians has is a sign against it. So the last one being the firstborn, because each, the Pharaoh was the son of God, and the son, his son died. And so God's like, I'm bigger and better than your gods. And that's what he's trying to do in each of these particular things. And so they, they go, wow, this is incredible. They, they go out of the, um, Egypt and the Egyptians go, what were we doing? We had a bad idea. We should go back. We've lost our slaves. We need to get them. And God's like, no, go, go through the, the Red Sea. And, he, and Moses holds up a staff and they walk through. And, 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 and to make, like, just to counter their fears, God suddenly appears to them in a pillar of fire and a cloud. And so this wind blows and they walk through and, and this cloud comes behind them because it was leading them. And on one side, there's light, and on the other side is darkness. And the Egyptians are like, well, we're not really sure we're going to go. And then they eventually go, and the, all of the Israelites are across on the other side. And, and then the water comes and destroys them all. And they're like, yes, fantastic. They sing a song, get it, crack out the tambourines and start singing away. And then the, the life goes on. Three days later, there's no water, and they have a whinge. And they go, oh, my goodness, there's no water. God has destroyed us. This is terrible. And there's water comes out of the rock. And then a little bit later, they're like, we've got no food. And God's like, okay, here is his bread from heaven. And then a whole bunch of quail. Imagine killing all the quail. They have all the quail and there's bread and there's stuff. It's fantastic God's provision. And then God, because they've been slaves for so long, he tries to explain to them that you should live as like free people, what, what it actually looks like. So I'm going to give you the law. I'll break it down and make it summary because you're going to be addicted to social media. So let's just make it 10, 10 commandments, just simplify the whole thing for you. And so while Moses goes up and gets these stones, they're like, let's, ha- let's just have a party and let's, let's do things that other nations do and let's worship something. We don't know what God looks like. Just make a cow cows are cool let's make a cow and worship a cow and so they do do that and Moses comes down and smashes the Ten Commandments gets super angry with them he's like ah meanwhile the, the pillar of fire is still there and, and you know it's a fire at night and during the day it's a cloud it's there and the man is falling every day from heaven for them and they're walking around and then like one to one point that these a whole bunch of people was like you know what I don't like Moses he he seems to have this special relationship with God. God can speak to everybody, and we think it should be us. And then suddenly this earthquake break, like the, the land opens up and swallows a whole bunch of these people. And then another time, um, Jesus has a brother, Aaron, and 
and, and his wife, and they get upset, and they're like, we, we should actually be the leader. It shouldn't just be Moses. We should have a go. And then um, Aaron's wife suddenly gets leprosy, and God, Moses prays for her. and then God, so All this stuff is happening. So what is it that we're meant to be actually understanding from this passage? It's the story that happens next. It comes from Numbers 14. So if you want to maybe flick on your Bible there, I wonder if we go to the next, um, yeah. I want to quickly go through, because this is the context into which he's saying to them today. If you don't harden your heart, this is what I'm going to say. So I want to quickly lightning go through what happens in Numbers 14, because they've had all these incredible miracles that happen, and then they're going to go into the promised land. So they've been walking around the desert for about 40 days, but they're going to go into, they want to go into the promised land. So what happens in Numbers 13? is that they get 12 leaders, one from each of the 12 tribes. It's broken up into 12 tribes. And they get 12 leaders. Okay, so these are significant people who know what they're doing. And they go, right, we want you to spy out the land, go into the land, bring back some of its stuff. They answer several questions. What do the people look like? How, be, how was the ceiling? And, and bring back some stuff. They come back, like, bigger than Paddy's markets. They come back with, like, this grapes hanging, but both, like, there's two people on a pole carrying the grapes back. Like, that's how much stuff is there. What happens is the challenge. This is the story. It's not about, because what I want to do is, I, I think this story is significant for us. This is the story that Hebrews 3 is actually talking about. It's not about the golden calf. It's not about anything else. It's actually what happens in Numbers 14. And what happens is that, of 10 spies get up and go, it's fantastic, it's incredible, but it's pretty bad. Like there's some significant people who are bigger and, and it's going to be challenging. And, and people start doing this. Caleb, who's a different spirit, gets up and says, get, no, 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 shh, shh, shh. He doesn't even use religious language. He says, no, we can do this. We can do this. And so the other 12, uh, the other 10 spies go, no, it's actually really bad. And the people, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And then the whole nation starts to cry through the night. Oh, God has forgotten us. And, and I'll quickly go through, if you can see that, if you have phenomenal binoculars. Uh, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us on this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then in verse 4, they want, to, they want to choose a new leader to go back to Egypt. And then they will talk about stoning Moses and Aaron in verse 10. And in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people threat, treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have accomplished among them. Verse 22, and I'm just, I'm doing this lightning summary. You can read this, pulling out the main thing. Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised to open their answers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And the 10 leaders... Who, who, who sort of said, no, 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 look, it's amazing, the land's fantastic, it's really cool, but there are very, 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 very nasty people there. I think it's very dangerous. They all die of a plague in Numbers 14. 
And Moses tell them what the Lord says. And so they go, no, oh, oh, we're ready now. We're ready. Let's go. And, and in verse um, 14, in their presumption, and Moses is like, don't go, don't go, don't go. He's like, no, no, we're going to do this. And they go up to enter the land and a whole bunch of them die. And so he says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart as you did in Numbers 14. So what do we learn from this weird passage of Scripture? Like, what does it mean for you and I today? Why is it this story that the writer of Hebrews is like, guys, 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 you need to pay attention to your heart because I think we all face these situations. We'll go to the next slide. We need to guard our heart because that's what this passage in, in Hebrews 3, um, 3 talks about. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As you did in the time of rebellion. Go down to verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. None of us here, if you're here in church, you're not here because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really working on hardening my heart today. You're not. You, you're here because you, you love God. You want to serve Him. You want to be there. But what's happening in the, in the Hebrews is, it's not really major things that are happening. It's stuff that's happening that they're drifting away from their faith, from being full on for Jesus. I think that's the challenge that we face in Sydney, Australia. We're not going to suddenly, I'm going to go and worship a gold cow. Like, we're not like, amen, let's go, let's start it. Like, let's be like, are you, you're dumb. What planet are you on? We're not doing that. But we could be. You know, it's very challenging. There's lots of financial issues out there. Oh, yes, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. That sounds more like what happens in Numbers 14. That sounds like, oh, it's all about your heart. It's all about what's happening in the environment of your heart to hear God speak to you and I. So I want to look at what's happening in this wilderness generation and see what we could actually learn. They, and, and my, I've got three points, but I'm going to spend most of the time on this one, and then the last two are really quick. But it's all about, it's all about guarding our hearts. Guard your heart, Proverbs says. Out of the abundance of your heart, that's what you communicate that's who you really are and I think what happens in they complain they complain they're like three-year-olds and four-year-olds that's what when you read the book of the law and see what happens all of these people they're complaining over and over and over and over again now it's not because they they go through if they go through difficult times they do they're there and they're walking three days and there's no water I would not be happy. That's a bad point. So they complain. Here's the difference. They didn't pray. They, they, and what happening, God, when you read the Psalms, there, there's a whole bunch of complaints toward God. That's not what they're worried about. That's not the issue here. It's actually about the, the complaining amongst ourselves. Did God really do? 
this is ridiculous. God didn't turn up. He should have done this. This should have been better. I am sick of this. I'm, hey, have you noticed that as well? God should have done this. God should have done But if you read the Psalms, it's like, God, where are you? It's full of whinging and complaining. And God doesn't say, oh, no, let's not put that in the Bible. God is okay with that. It's this relationship that we have where we complain about what's happening in our life to the point of unbelief. And they do it over and over and over and over again. Any parent will know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like if you keep asking it, it's going to change the situation. What we know as an older person is like, no, there's a journey. It doesn't happen just because you want to get there. And this is the challenge for us, I think, sometimes in spiritual life. Are we there yet? Because there's something bad happening to me. It should not happen. I love Jesus. Bad things shouldn't happen to me. That's not really true. But God, God we're, like, we're, we're the parents. We've got to say, no, no, no. There's a journey. We're, we've got to get from A to B. And to get that, we've got to go through all of this in this place. Can't just suddenly get to this point. But that short-term thinking leads to the complaining spirit in our heart. And so I think the attitude that we need is thanksgiving. Paul writes about the light and momentary troubles of like getting whipped and all of this persecution in Christ. It's crazy. But we can sometimes think that because we trust in God, nothing bad will happen to us. And yet you still need to read the same passage of Scripture that says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Life happens. It just does. I love the fact I was reading this week, Elisha, who was suffering from the disease that he was going to die from. It's like, what? This is God that did incredible things that when he died, they threw a dead person into, his, into where he was. And that guy came back to life. I'm like, hang on. So how come this guy's incredible didn't double the miracles that Elijah did? He's dying from a miracle. It's like, because we're sinful, we're going to fail, we're going to die, we're human. But we sometimes want, okay, now I'm a special person, so I don't have to go through this stuff. And it's like, it's, it's, it's not mature thinking. And so I want to challenge us to be thankful. Like, how do we guard our heart? And, and I, I want, just for a moment, if we could, to... Think of what you are thankful for. Now, you may have a bad report. You may know that there are giants that you have to defeat. You may know that you have to go through a battle and all of that stuff. I'm not saying to ignore that. It's there. But if you stay there, you can move into a realm of complaining. But what we need to do is to be thankful for what God has done. The reason that God's ticked off, if I can say that word. It's just like, have you forgotten what I have done? Are you, not un- are you ungrateful for the bread that comes down? For- and so I just want, just, just if we can do this for like 10 seconds. What are you thankful for? What has God done for you? What has Jesus done for you? Not, not for the church, not for the world. What has He done for you? Personalize. What has He done for you? Hold on to that. Write that down if you're taking notes. What has He done for you? That will stir your heart to go, oh, I'm thankful. 
that he did this. I'm thankful that he did that. You can make it theological, but you need to make it personal. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I love Jesus, the miracle, the multiplication. He gives thanks when there's not enough. I think there's something powerful in giving thanks when you don't have everything. You're looking at God. You can complain, well, well, this is ridiculous. Like, how's this going to happen? How am I going to multiply this? I think the antidote in our heart, because we need to watch our heart, is to give thanks. We need to give thanks. So they complained, and they should give thanks. They, they disobeyed when they should have remembered. If we go to the next slide. They didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it. And so they rejected the leadership of Moses and Aaron. They rebelled against God. And in the end, the presumption, like, well, let's just go and do it anyway. We can do it. We'll just go. Let's just do it. God's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Moses is like, don't do that. You will die. And they, they disobeyed God. I think this is the challenge for us sometimes is when life is difficult, when it's hard, we think, why bother keeping these rules? Why bother having a righteous relationship? Why bother having a good conscience before God? Why bother if nobody else is seeing? Why bother just living life like it's easier? Some of the reasons I'm getting in this problem is because I'm trying to live a righteous life for Jesus. But we must obey God. And I think the challenge that what I want to encourage us to do in this space is to remember what you have received and heard, to quote Revelation 3 verse 3. And we did it powerfully this morning, which is what Jesus has has taught us to do, is to remember what he has done. I think one of the antidotes to disobedience is actually stopping and remember what God has done for you. Not just thankful for what He has done, but remembering it, stirring it up in your heart and going, okay. In the Old Testament, what they would do, they would, whenever they had significant encounter moment with God, they would set up a pillar. They'd get a bunch of stones and go, this was it. What do you do in your life to go, God's great, God's good, and I want to remember this? Uh, so for me, I take photos. I take photos. I don't take photos very well. Uh, I I just struggle with doing them. Um, but there are times in my life I'm like, oh, this this is this is powerful. I know this. I've had this encounter with God. I've understood this moment. I need to. I'm not going to build a little monument. I got to do something. And so it, I I used to write it down in a diary. Um, but now I, I just take a photo of that moment where it, where I was, what happened, where something to capture capture my heart because I know that I, we are prone to just drifting away. This is the challenge. The Israelites, they're not suddenly like, let's go and do something bad. They're drifting. They've continued to drift. And God's trying to say, remember what He has done for you. So think of that. Just for a moment, just pause and think of something significant, powerful that He's done for you. Maybe it was a healing that you had. Maybe it was God spoke to you at a, at a particular time in your life and just corrected your course because he, he, he rescued you from something. I don't know, what, what, what is it for you that God did something that you were like, actually, I remember that. 
I, I remember that. I remember that. And it could be a long time ago. It could be last week. But it's got to be, I'm talking about that profound thing because these guys had forgotten. So they woke, because here's, here's what, what put it into context. They're, they're, they're going to go into this promised land and, and to, to defeat some giants when they have destroyed the world power at the time. No, no other nation would compare to the Egyptian nation at this point. They built the, the, the pyramids and everything else that still stands out there. We go, oh, that was amazing. That was this era. So this was like the world power. They walked out and took all of their gold with them. And oh, no, it's the end of the world. It's so bad. It's like, you've forgotten what God has done. We are like that. We face a battle. We face a challenging situation when you need to stop and pause and go, I remember. I remember. I think Jesus knew our hearts. And so he said, you know what? Do this in remembrance of me. Will we ever forget what Jesus has done on the cross for us? We'd like to say no. But Jesus knows us and says, okay, I'm going to institute something functional so that you can stop and pause and remember me. So they complained, they disobeyed, and they had unbelief. And I think what we need to counter our unbelief is to praise Him. Because I think sometimes unbelief is this fog in our life and our heart where we're in a situation and, and some of us like we like you're what God what are you going to do what's going to happen I don't know the future it just feels like oh my goodness where are you what's going to happen I don't know what's going to happen that's normal if you feel like that that's normal that is totally 100% normal but what will you do with that feeling I think you need to stir up faith in your heart to believe that God is God and he's, He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. He, he, Hebrews says that you must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And so we've got to get faith in our heart. So you, you, that fog will always be there. That storm will happen. Those situations, those difficult moments will happen. But you can choose to succumb to it or you can choose to say, no, what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here in this situation. So I think what we need to do in those moments is to praise God. Because what praise does is acknowledges God for who He is, not what He's done. We, we thank God. We remember for what He has done. But you may come to a situation where you've never encountered this situation before. So you can't come back and go, well, in the past, God has, has provided for me or he has healed me or he has um, spoken to me or he's done something. Maybe you're in a situation where you've never encountered this before. And so it's new territory for you. It feels weird. So for them, it was coming into the promised land that God had promised them to do. They'd never done this before. So what they needed to stir, heart, stir, stir faith in their heart was to actually praise God for who he is. And so I want you to think about it just for a moment. Not for what he's done, but for who he is, for his nature, for his character, for the fact that he, there's no shadow of turning with him, the fact that he is good, the fact that he is God. Uh, praise the Lord how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting 
to praise Him. I think that's one of the reasons why we start our services with praise. It just, it's just like, hey, he, he is God. It reminds our souls that God is still God and that the giants and the difficult things we face are actually just giants. They're not God. That even if it's a principality and a power and a darkness that might come against you, they're only that and they're not God. Because God, he, Jesus has the name above every name. At his name, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the type of faith that we need in our heart when we come to those difficult situations. So, God, are you there? Are you going to say anything? I remember you are God. I remember that you could do this. The clouds are like the dust of your feet, it says. So you're, you're, you're powerful. You're big. You're huge. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. So we go. So the first point really is that guard heart. Let's go to the next last two. But encourage one another daily. Do I have verse? As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just as best been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, is nailing the heart. It's like the heart is what matters and it could be in danger of getting hard. And so I, I think he's saying to them, look what happened in Numbers 14. That's an example for you guys today. Don't go the way that they did. So I, I, I summarized what I think could be there if they had praised God, if they'd remembered Him, if they'd have thanked Him. But then He gives two further actions that I think we could do. Encourage one another daily. And, and if, if understand the, the way that the Bible was written, this word has this, what's called an imperative, it's a command. It's like, it's an urgency to it. Encourage. You should do this. And actually, they, in fact, they, they repeat this word daily. And this is the mutual responsibility that we have, that, hey, I need to look after you, and you need to look after me. Because the first part is all about, okay, you need to look after your heart, but actually what will help you in your community is if you could encourage one another daily, because it's actually about the heart. The hardening by sin's deceitfulness. Because here's the thing, you're here today, you're, yes, I want to be on fire for Jesus. But some of you could be like, I do, but I've got this big challenge in my life. And it's not like you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to do it, it. There is this deceitfulness that happens in our heart of hearts that we can fool ourselves at times. We can. We can sort of say, oh, yes, I'm going to do this. God will forgive me so I can do that. And, or like, yeah, but it's only once. or it's only We start to sort of justify and we can deceive ourselves. And so it's like that thing in between your teeth that you can't see, but everyone else can see. You sort of think, it's all right. I'll get it out later, or it's not that big a deal, but everyone else can see it. And that's why we need other people to go, um, well, I love you. You need to, it's just there. It's massive. It's screaming, hello, can you take it out? We can all see it. You should stop, take it out. The thing is, but when, when it comes to our hearts, so 
real life example for me. Um, so I got to preach at this, um, probably the biggest event I've ever preached at a few weeks ago. And so I'm like nervous going, oh, this is a big deal. And my friend's like, listen, you've made this a much bigger deal than you've talked about. Every time I call you, you're talking about this thing. I'm like, that's a massive deal, man. I've never preached in front of this many people. There's a whole bunch of pastors, a whole bunch of peers. There's people who just know how to make stuff work. And he's like, okay, this is, this is really about your heart, isn't it? And I'm like, probably. Can we change the subject? You know, like, he's like, I think, you, I think there's something wrong here, man. You just, just stop, you, you know, stop, stop thinking this way. And I'm like, yes. But I could justify it by saying, well, I need to prepare. I need to, but it was actually all about, hey, are you just worried? Or are you just anxious about what people think? Or whatever it is. So all of us have these challenges, these things that we could justify, but you need somebody to call it and go, hey, today's the day. When are you going to stop doing this? Or keep going. You can do this. It's like Caleb who, who in, in Numbers 14. He's like, we can do this. You can do this. You need someone in your life. I'm telling you, in your family, because they know you, it's easy to say, hey, you know, no, no. what if we could be super encouraging in our own f- nuclear families and go, you can do this. God's not finished yet. There's a story that God's unfolding. And then if we could do this in our church family where we go, hey, God's, God's at work. God's not finished. Keep going. Keep putting it up. Keep actually following him. Hard, go hard after him. Whatever it is that actually works. And I think this is why for me, connect groups are so powerful. Because in this room, as, as wonderful as it is, you may not get to speak to everybody. And you can, you can put on your Sunday best. Yes, you can say hallelujah. You can say all Christianese, whatever. But actually in a group over a period of time, what I love is actually just doing life and journey. And you see the ebbs and flows. Someone's in a high, someone's in a thing. And you can see that's where the traction comes. And actually today, you can encourage them. And so I don't care. If, you, if you're not actually in a group, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Catherine. Love to put you in a group. Or you can even start one, whatever it works. Because I think these things are great. And, as long as, and, and, and actually the whole community face. So my encouragement to us, just encourage one another. Believe that you're hearing from God. How good would it be to have an encouraging word to somebody? So some of you are like, yes, amen, preach it. So I'm going to say in the foyer and someone will come to me. And they will say the missing word that I need. That would be amazing. That would be great. That would be good. But how about you start first? How about you just go first? How about you just go, hey, how are you? How was your week? Have an encouraging word towards them. And the second thing he says, hold. If the, if the team could come, that would be great. Hold our original conviction firmly. He says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. I love this phrase. What this word is actually talking about is business partnership. And, and it is. It's, so they've used a Greek word that means um, you are a partner with Christ. You are a, a co-laborer in Christ. So Jesus is your business partner in this, in this situation. So you are in Christ, it says. You, are, um, you share in Christ. So that's a, that's a business term. Partner, companion, that he, not, not necessarily equals, but you are, you are with him. 
And so in your journey towards hearing from God, living for Him, doing what God's called you to do, you are in Christ. God is with you. So we're saying, look after your own heart, encourage each other, but then Jesus is there with you. He's there with you going, all right, I, I, I am equal partner in this situation, in this, in this whatever we're doing. Here's the, here's the beautiful part of this. You do your part, I'll do my part. There are things that in our Christian life that God does. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and empowers us and do that. So don't do all that stuff. He does. But you need to do your part. And so it, it's actually cooperating with Him. If, if, if there's one condition, if you hold our original conviction firmly, it's this, like in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, they devoted themselves. You hold on to this thing. And, and one, of the, one of the way I think of this is that you and Jesus, imagine you and Jesus there walking together. You've got to hold on to what He has said. Hold on to the Word. So like, get into the Bible. The Bible. This is what God's saying. This is God's thoughts and plans for you. This is what He has said. This is how you can go, okay, what do I need to do? What does God do? So He sins? Great. You don't do that. You don't work towards that. In that space. But you, you just, you tell other people about Jesus. You love other people because He's the first loved you. You don't do it to get His love. He's already loved you. So you work together as long. Hold on to this. And so I, I love this story, phrase for me because at, at times our world might be challenging. You might feel like you're in a fog. You may feel like you're in a valley. You may feel like there's a giant coming against you. You may feel like whatever is happening there, you've got to look after your heart. But you can hold on to God in all of this thing. He will never let you go. He will not let you. He said He would never leave you. He said He would never forsake you. What He said He will do, He will do. So hold on to it. I know what you sort of think. Are you serious? What God has said to do? Hold on to what He's going to do. How many more days before that breakthrough happens? I don't know. But when I look at the Israelites and what they did, they complained, they whinged, they moaned, and God had a miracle in store for them if they just asked. God had a plan. It was incredible. It would blow us out of it. It becomes fantastic stories that we tell our kids and go, man, it's crazy. In the meanwhile, while they were there, there's this pillar of fire, cloud of glory just standing the whole while they were having this whole decision. He's just there. He's there. Like they're going, should we go into this thing? I don't think we can do it. And there's this massive cloud that's just still, God's still there. God's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's not. So I want to encourage us. We stand this morning. We will need to just open our hearts to Him because He has never left us. We just need to hold on to Him today. We're going to worship. We're going to worship Him. We're going to honor Him. We're going to say nothing. Nothing matters more to me. Are we okay to do that? We're going to worship Jesus and just let us get our hearts off our situation, our circumstances. Maybe you need to close your eyes and we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to Him and see how great He is and how powerful He is.
Thank you for listening to Rivers Edge Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au.